from a galaxy far, far away. And a bookshelf straight out of the 90s. From Thrawn to Dantooine. And everything in between. This is Legends Look Back. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Legends Look Back, proudly part of the Uchini Podcast Network. This is a Star Wars books podcast for people who get knocked down, but get up again, but will never ever keep us down, where we celebrate our rich EU history as well as dive into lesser-known Star Wars classics. I'm your host, not an abomination, Jared Mays, joined by my legendary co-hosts, the man who once beat Lando's Lando Calrissian in a swag-off, Freddy C. Are you Freddy? He's muted. Ah, uh, Freddy, dang it, Freddy, you're muted! I, I was muted, I was just so excited to tell everybody how badly I want capes to come back into style. It's going to happen. <laughs> there it is. That oh, if, if If anyone in the world could make it happen, it's you, Freddy. <laughs> but we are also joined by the man who once defeated Naminor in a beauty pageant, Rick Grace. <laughs> you know, somebody has to, I guess. I don't know if it's a compliment or an insult. I think a little bit of both. <laughs> it's the new haircut. Oh, gosh. It's another conversation for another slick day. It's slick. <laughs> I think I described, uh, I have an atrocious beard term right now, everybody, and I think I described it as an Amish catfish is kind of the vibe that I'm getting. <laughs> Thank you for laughing because my wife didn't laugh at that, but uh, that was that was. A I used one. an excellent metaphor today with somebody about an elephant growing wings and flying to North Carolina, and, and I came home, my wife told me, I ran it by her beforehand, I said, hey, uh, you think I should use that elephant metaphor? And she said, no, I, I would not use the elephant metaphor. And she, and and then after the meeting, I went in and I said, so I use the elephant metaphor, and she said, the one with the wings. So yeah, between uh, the catfish and the elephant, we've got the whole Noah's Ark represented up in here tonight. There you All go. All wearing capes. All wearing no. capes, of course. Cat, catfish and capes, let's make it happen. They've at least got the mustaches, so uh, they're halfway toward calrissifying. That's right. Well, tonight we are diving into Michael A. Stackpole, friend of the show, his final novels in the Star Wars expanded universe to date. Not to say that, you know, it couldn't happen again. His final novels in the Star Wars expanded universe to date, New Jedi Order, Dark Tide, Onslaught, and, that's right, double dipping tonight, New Jedi Order, Dark Tide Ruin, books two and three in the New Jedi Order series. If you're thinking, uh-oh, books two and three, I haven't even read the first one. Well, go back. You've got uh, just a little bit of homework. This is going to be a lot more difficult once we get toward books 17, 18, and 19 in the series. Okay, so um, that is we are going to be continuing our deep dive into the New Jedi Order. We've got Rogue Squadron back again. The cutest little Jedi team-up missions you've ever seen. And an absolutely epic samurai Duel to the death between Yuzhan Vong Warlord Shadow Shai and Utini Mascot. You love him or you hate him. Maybe you love to hate him. Clad in green. The man himself with his extendable lightsaber and his very special medallion, Corin Horn, showing up big time in oh, these books. Guys, how excited are you to talk about Dark Tide? I I love it. Love it. I love Corin Horn. He's the best. His his battle, and and the analysis of his battle via himself to to the council, I think it is. It's amazing. It's, this book has so many so many layers. Quite quite possibly one of the greatest moments in the entire expanded universe. Kinda. The the battle with 
with corn horn at the end. Yeah. Yep. Every time you say layers, I think onions and, and, and ogres. So I was not really <laughs> worth saying, but I said it anyway. Sorry. <laughs> That's something about uh, ogres and catfish and yeah. corn horn. What it's a different podcast. Which leads us into dark tide. Let's talk a little bit. There's the man himself, the beautiful. I, I chose the samurai top knot yep. to show off corn horn tonight. Yep, yep. So, Freddie. Tell the good folks about Dark Tide. Give us some of the background on the book. Yeah, so we've got uh, yeah, a couple books here. Uh, both volumes were released around the 2000s. Uh, so, right? Uh, in 2000. In 2000, 2000, 2000, sorry. Yeah. In 2000. So, uh, post-millennium panic, I would say, after everybody was uh, worried that the grocery stores would be locked out because of uh, the change from Y2K. 1999. <laughs> that Y2K bug. Uh, oh. So perfect follow-up to that year. Um, it was actually released... 2Y2K, <laughs> the sequel. Yes, there you go. Uh, yeah. It was not released on hardback for mass release, though. I want to say that right. the only hardback that was released was... I want to say it was for the Sci-Fi Book Club. Hey. Um, yeah. The one that I found when I was hanging out with you <laughs> and then mailed a copy to Rick. That's right. That was amazing. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, and... Yeah, so everything's been... Oh, and mine's signed. What? Oh, wow. nice. Beautiful. Got it done at Legends Con. I love that. Yeah. That's, that's where I can awesome. put my Stackpole signature. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one for the uh, Stackpole signature. Uh, so this was, of course, written by Michael A. Stackpole himself. And as Jared had mentioned, it was one of his last novels in the Legends timeline. Um, I guess cover art, Jared. Let's talk cover art, because there's... Quite a few things These going on here with cover art. Yeah, there is. And we've got some images we can show for the live viewers with the cover art. You know, on the one hand, we've Vector Prime received a lot of uh, pushback. What's what's a better word for it? It was a controversy. It was a bold statement. Oh, the yeah. big alien face. The missing eye. <laughs> Luke Skywalker's looking decrepit. It's a bold strategy for promoting a book. This pivots in an all-new direction, right? Dark Tide is instead got spaceships mm. and a uh, coral spaceship. It's the Yuzhan Vong world ship, maybe. It's, it's nebulous. What are we looking at here, guys? Yes, this is a really, really soft, like, no, maybe not quite watercolor. Well, pastel. Like, like, yeah, pastel, oily, kind of uh, just soft lines with some X-wings on tarmac and this... Very alien ship coming in, and looks like one X-wing scrambling to to intercept, and oh, another one in the air, um, and some of those it's cool coral skippers coming out to engage, and yeah, it's this it's could cool. like the color scheme. I think this could be ro- uh, Rogue Squadron, right? Not sure if it is, but most likely, sure. Yeah, I could see that. So on the one hand, this is a big pivot from what we have with Vector Prime, um. But guys, I wonder which which approach do you prefer better? Big, shocking, ugly alien face, or this cover where, let's be honest, you're really not sure what it is. Well, <laughs> are either of well, these two the right if strategy? You think, if you think this one's confusing, uh, I want to say it was Dark Tide 2's cover is even more confusing. <laughs> so this yeah, one? this is like yeah, yeah. So this is kind of a it's kind of like a what Trade Federation looking spaceship. Yeah. With a couple of X wings, and that's it. Now, is that the uh, the space station thing, like that that's in uh, the next book? Yeah. So that's actually um, I wrote it down here. I found it on on a couple of sources. 
Uh, but according to to this one, this is uh, the ship that would have appeared in Siege. Oh, that's right. That's right. Was used on the cover art huh. for Dark Tide Two Ruin. So that that's so part. There of- was a scrap Dark Tide novel. This was going to be a trilogy. We'll talk about that later in the show. And so that's funny that they use something from the scrapped book in the cover art, which is why when you're looking at it, you're like, "Wait a second, what's that?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, uh, of course, according to Skuma Joe, none other than John Harris as the artist. And in my opinion, totally different kind of art than what we've seen on some of our Golden Age era books. Yeah, this is very different. This is no floating heads, no heads at all. In fact, yeah. No heads. Guys, which do you prefer? Do you prefer heads or no heads on your covers? Well, I mean, if it's if it's heads versus ships, I'm going to go with ships. <laughs> ships every time? Yeah. Okay. Ships every time. Every time. It's a good one. Yeah. Surfer Eddie says it feels like a vague cover. It is vague. It's like it's one that you want to study, and you're like, ooh, what's that? I do find the color scheme very pleasing, just the little splotches of red. And, and I appreciate that it's different. It's different kind of... Uh, different kind of a scheme than what we are going to get later on. Later on in the series, you just get a head. You get Jason's head on a book. Mm-hmm. Orange background, Jason's head. Pink background, Jaina's head. This is different. It's very different. And so I appreciate that there's some variety. Yeah, totally agree with Skuma Joe's comment there. Dark Tide and Force Heretic have the best New Jedi Orders. New Jedi Order covers for the U.S. versions. The Force Heretic covers are ah, chef's kiss. Love them. Can't <laughs> wait to get there in... Four years. So, I mean, uh, just a few months. So, uh, speaking of the U.S. US versions, are you going to talk about the Japanese cover? Ooh. Oh, you better believe it. It's <laughs> pretty cool. What is it, Rick? Yeah, look at this guy. Let me pull it up. Tell the audio listeners oh, what we're looking boy. at. Well, you guys, this one is no heads. This one's a lot of heads. A lot of heads. Well, a lot of, like, full bodies. And uh, I don't know how, what percentage of Ithorian that is. Um, I'd say... Half, half or more. <laughs> um, Definitely way more mouths than you need to have on a person. Sure, but, uh, sure. Um, let's see. I will say that I appreciate the the Japanese typography more so than the the font choice in the in the English version. Hmm. Um, and looks like we have gone full Trade Federation uh, with that space station. With the wow, that's really interesting. A full like uh, mechanical built sphere with a partial ring surrounding it. It's pretty cool. It's almost like the one from uh, the High Republic, the Maxine station that they do. And um, oh, what is that called? Uh, Into the Dark kind of looks like that. Anyway, enough canon nonsense. <laughs> These Japanese New Jedi Order covers are so iconic among the Legends fandom. And if anybody knows how to get them, let me know. I'm kind of interested in piecing together a collection huh. of Japanese New Jedi Order books. Okay. Just like theoretically. Like, possibly, if anybody knows. Well, uh, I might have to wait until uh, next year for Celebration Japan. <laughs> yeah, like I'm going to that, Freddy. <laughs> this podcast is going to have to go viral, and we're going to need to reschedule Easter, okay, <laughs> in right. order to... Somebody call Jesus, let him know yeah. we need to change the date so, We're celebrating somewhere. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'll be watching the live streams, like, yeah. on a 10-hour time delay. It'll be fine. Uh, I'll send you with a hit list, Freddie, of things to get for me. Anyway, Japanese covers, fantastic. We've got some folks in the chat saying that Japanese covers better than the U.S. covers. Other folks saying they like the U.S. covers on Dark Tide. Let us know in the comments if you're watching this later on YouTube, if you're listening on audio platform. 
uh, hop in the Legends Look Back Discord channel or on Twitter. Let us know which of these do you prefer. What else do we have here concerning Dark Tide? Of course, uh, Siege was going to be the second book in the trilogy, and this is now a duology, which is good because there's already 19 books in this series plus the novella. I mean, there's a lot. So I, I'm okay with trimming a little bit of fat here and there. However, this duology is so excellent, I would not be opposed to a third book. So, guys, without any further ado, I say we get into it. What do you think? Let's do it. Let's read the summary. But first, I just want to point out, Jared, that that explain how I thought you were going to give an ad break or something there. <laughs> oh yeah. But, <laughs> but, but first, wait, let's hear yeah. a word from our sponsor, Dude, Q-tips. No, the mask in the in the background and the hanger, it looks great. I just don't notice that. What are you talking your about? Your helmet. Oh, your helmet. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like a little bit over the shoulder. Yeah. I need to rearrange it a tad, but yeah, thank you. appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, man. Okay. Now you, now you can go. Let's get into it. I'll read the uh I'll read the the summary. Guys, spoiler warning, if you're listening to this and you have not read the Dark Tide books, you can do it, and you should. They're excellent. So, we will talk full spoilers for Michael Stackpole's Dark Tide Onslaught and Dark Tide Ruin in this episode. In Dark Tide Onslaught, the Yu Zhan Vong's ruthless invasion spreads fear across the Outer Rim, prompting Luke Skywalker to dispatch Jedi on reconnaissance missions. Luke and Jaina, oh, Luke and Jason Solo uncover a sinister bioengineering operation on Belkadan, while Corrin Horn and Jedi Mega Chad Ganner Rizode <laughs> rescue scientists from a Yuzhan Vong outpost on Bimiel. Mara Jade Skywalker mentors Anakin Solo on Dantooine, where they narrowly evade capture by the relentless invaders. As the Yuzhan Vong escalate their onslaught, the New Republic faces a costly battle on Dubrillion, leading to a bittersweet victory. Moving on to Ruin. In Dark Tide Ruin, the New Republic's struggle against the Yuzhan Vong intensifies as Luke Skywalker and Anakin Solo race to prevent a rogue Jedi's descent into darkness. Meanwhile, Senator Elagos Akla's attempt at peace negotiations are thwarted by Shadao Shai's thirst for vengeance, resulting in tragedy for both Sides. As the conflict culminates in a devastating battle at Ithor, Corrin Horn's epic samurai jack duel to the death with Shai leads to the planet's destruction and the Jedi facing public backlash and exile. The novel ends with a tragic loss for the New Republic, tinged with the bitter cost of war and the sacrifice of Ithor. F's in the chat for Ithor. Ithor was a real one. All right, guys, let's give a rating. Go around the horn here. What is your favorite? Nope. What is your score for Dark Tide Onslaught and Dark Tide Ruin, the Dark Tide duology? Where does it rank among the great Legends books that we've covered on the show? Oh, man. It's a tough one. Um, yeah. Oof. <laughs> these are really good books. Uh, I would hesitate to say even good. These are these are really awesome books. The The amount of action that's happening at almost every turn uh you have no clue what's coming you you have an idea obviously once once you're with the yuzhan bong seeing what's about to happen and you still have no clue what's going to happen and then you see it and you're just like what <laughs> michael stackpole how, how could you do this <laughs> i know there's some real gut-wrenching stuff in this it's like oh hit me in the feels yeah 
but also some stuff where you're like, ooh, hit me in the funds. Uh, <laughs> it's got a lot of fun. Got a lot of fun. Got a lot of feels. Just how we like it. There's Rogue Squadron. Yeah. A samurai. It's like the culmination of Cornhorn's story arc. It's just, oh, there's so much. Uh, there's so many great quotes, too. The writing is superb. Absolutely excellent. I mean, it's not, it, you'd be hard-pressed to even think it was from the same author as Rogue Squadron. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I think it's still there. Like, I mean, the quality for both in my mind is there. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel the continuity. Um, and I can tell a difference. I'm, I'm on the next book, which I can't think of the name. What is the name? Agents of Agents Chaos. Chaos. Yes. Agents of Chaos. And I can definitely tell a change of pace and a change of tone. Oh, yeah. Lucino um, is like, grab your thesauruses, children. This <laughs> is, is it Lucino. I actually haven't paid attention even to that. So, uh, yeah. Nice. Okay. Um, yeah, his first foray into Star Wars novels. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Huh. I legitimately have to have a thesaurus out when I read those books. <laughs> I told you that I'm having a, uh, I've got like, you know, like a screen reading uh, service that reads all these yeah. to me because there's no audiobooks. And um, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I've got a a deeply Scottish accented man who's reading this to me right now. And uh, it's glorious, but like, is it I like use Snoop Dogg. Huh? I use Snoop Dogg. What is that? Oh, Let's yeah. see. It's, it's, sorry. Yeah, I'm, not... I'm moving away from Speechify. I'm using a different one. That's that's uh, no cost. Uh, <laughs> there you go. It's called Cheapify. Cheapify. Yeah. <laughs> I, I bought the voice, and then the bo- the voice plugs into whatever. But uh, oh, okay, it's it's so thick with an accent. So I'm reading all these words, and I'm like, that's not how it's pronounced. Thinking, oh, actually, maybe it is how it's pronounced. What if I told you all of these words are made up in the first place? Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's fair. (laughs) Anyway. Wait till we we get to talking about Desharakor. We'll get there in a second. (laughs) But um, I'm going to go ahead and give this, if it was a numerical rating, I'm probably at an eight on these. uh, Mm -hmm. If we're going with the less numerical system, probably an incredible, just shy of masterpiece. Mm -hmm. Um, these this yes. this probably for me is right outside the top ten of my favorite legends novels of all time. Mm. It's probably sitting in the top fifteen mm. um, as a duology. Yeah, I I'd, I'd like this one. This is, in my opinion, Stackpole. Coming from just reading the X Wing series, he gets back into it. He knows how to write space battles. He knows how to write action. He knows how to write. Um, he knows how to create an air of martyrdom in a way uh just very very fluid the stories all flow within each other i don't know how to describe it it's just like one giant yeah they really do uh, one giant loop to loop in an x-wing just smooth and it goes right into it and it's oh, it's amazing a, a barrel roll barrel do a barrel okay. roll <laughs> <laughs> all right so I, Rick, I'm right you, there rated, you. you called right them there you. you called them what like uh very good who me yeah, you called them very good. Rick's no. uh, phrase with me at like incredible. No, I, I think I think yeah. I was questioning: Can I give them the masterpiece? Like, do they compare? Do they hold up against every other Legends book that we've rated? And so I'm, I think I'm right there with you guys that it's if it's not masterpiece, it's just shy, in my yeah. estimation. Shadow shy, in my <laughs> shadow shy. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So let us know in the, in the comments how you rank the Dark Tide books. So. Uh, and I'm not 100% sure how this stacks up for me up against Vector Prime. Vector Prime sets a very different tone, and it's uh, kind of, I would describe it as drop shock into the New Jedi Order. It's like you're hitting the hitting the ground running right in the middle of war. 
This is instead like, okay, now we're going to have Jedi recon missions. This is more my speed. So this probably probably for me edges out Vector Prime, and we'll we'll continue to rank these and adjust as we go throughout the New Jedi Order series. Doing my uh, Shamarai Jack moves here <laughs> nice. as we edit and adjust. Guys, let's get into the characters. What do you say? Let's do it. Following the initial wave of the Yuuzhan Vong invasion in Vector Prime, a war council of Jedi, though Luke says it's definitely not a war council, guys, not a war council. The war council meets on Yavin 4 in order to determine the next course of action. Pairs of Jedi reconnaissance teams dispersed throughout the sector the Vong had recently infiltrated. Which of the teams is your favorite? I love these pairs. Stackpole chose some juicy team-ups. We've got Corrin Horn and Ganner Rizod, the two biggest egos in the galaxy. Then you've got Luke and Jason. Jason, who doesn't really want to be a Jedi anymore, but his uncle drags him along. (laughs) And then Mara and Anakin. Mara, who's sick, and Anakin, who's definitely let his ego go to his head and has to learn. Isn't necessarily going to learn from family, but maybe he'll listen to Mara. Very young, too. Yeah. 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 Naive and Headstrong, brash. Which of these pairs is your favorite, guys? Oh, man. Uh, I really liked Luke and Jason. Luke and Jason. Jason challenges Luke. And you you start to see factions forming around, you know, uh, Jason doesn't quite feel like he has any idea what he wants to do. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but he it's like the, the Jedi paths that are available. He's like, I don't like any of this. I don't feel like I want to do any of this stuff. Uh, and, and obviously, we'll see more of that develop. I think this this book is is kind of like a a keystone in Jason's path choosing. Ooh, good word, keystone. Yeah. Uh, but but Ganner, it's like Ganner, hold your horses. <laughs> and then he gets a, a freaking gash in the head, yeah. and he's like, cauterize it with a rusty knife. I want to feel the pain. It's so good. <laughs> and they're like, don't you want to go in the back to tank? And he's like, no, I want to feel the scar. <laughs> it's so great. Um, oh, man, I love that part. I got goosebumps. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, so uh, you are team Luke and Jason yeah. as your favorite. Though uh, Jason, he really comes across to me at this stage of the New Jedi Order, and he's going to have a uh, character progression. For much of the series, he comes across as the freshman in college who's just come home for summer vacation after having been exposed to Marxism for the first time, <laughs> who thinks they know everything about and about political theory. And it, that's it's so it's just you can just cut it with a knife. I mean, uh, Stackpole captures it very, very, very well. Yeah, he does. All right, Rick, which of the pairs is your favorite? I mean, I, I think... Uh... Uh, the Corn and Ganner team up. Like I love how they're they're similar but also opposites, you know, and uh, and their approach to using the Force and exactly. where it appears that Ganner's heading, you know, is is uh, opposite of Corrin. And so the the fact that they they definitely grow as a pair and they both learn from each other in some sense. And I love the way that Ganner kind of comes around and you know. Um, brothers up with Corrin to to help him out and I think that's beautiful um and so for me it was Corrin and Ganner Mara and Anakin and Luke and Jason they're all great um I can speak about the the Mara and Anakin if you want to uh yeah that one I think is I think that one's my favorite pair okay okay uh 
that relationship between Mara and Anakin is, he really comes across in the first book as like, kind of has hero envy of Kip Duran. Mm-hmm. Kip Duran, who is like, his cape is billowing in the wind. And Anakin's like, man, Jedi used to be knights. When are we going to stop being monk losers and be knights? Mm. And Mara is like, don't use the force to cut your fruit. Come on, let's cherish the force. Um, Treat it with respect. Why don't you cut the firewood with your bare hands like a man and <laughs> not take a shortcut? on it? So the little lessons like that were just like, oh, I was like, oh, hey, I used to cut firewood. You know, so there's there's some uh, just some very human lessons, even though it's fantastical, larger than life characters. What did you want to say about that, Rick? Well, you know, he only cuts firewood for like a second until he outsources it to the indigenous people. <laughs> so... Uh, he's not sure if the the lesson tack tracks to the 21st century, but uh, that's a yikes for me, dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, other than that, which that was it wasn't a terrible part. It was nice, but it was kind of like, really, you just you're just ripping this guy off for for like labor now. Anyway, uh, but I, I started agree. sweating when you said that. I'm gonna be honest. Oh, <laughs> uh, I I do think that. Um, yeah, Anakin's lesson that he learns from Mara is super important. Um, <laughs> and being able to to appreciate the Force, like you said, um, and the way that he looks out for Mara, and like the yeah. desperate situation they get into was was really beautiful. Um, like I was on the edge of my seat during that, not knowing yeah. how it was going to be resolved, and so it was it was really exciting. Well, because the the, the book has already set the series already set the tone. There is no one who is safe. Yeah, yeah. Any character can. Is that what you were going to say? Fred? I was going to say nobody's safe in this in this storyline, right? We've got, we've got, oh, man. At the end of this book, we'll, I don't want to. I know we've already done spoilers, but the amount of people that pass, and not just the people, it's it's the planets of of a well known system to I think Star oh, Wars man. fans, right? Like that. Yeah. That one kind of hurt too. I was like, oh, e- that was such a beautiful planet, like. <laughs> I can't imagine. The world building was great. Yeah. They really fleshed out Ithor as this beautiful, serene Garden of Eden, pacifist, peaceful place. And then they burned it to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. To the, yeah, to, to shreds. It's, oof, I know. There's a lot of heartbreak in the new Jedi Order. And the Dantooine A lot battle. of heartbreak. Oh. Yep. Chaos everywhere in this book. I mean, just when you think you've had enough chaos... You know, you, you you're you're in this situation with with a bunch of refugees, for instance, and oh well, I guess we don't have that problem anymore. <laughs> but right. for the reason, it's just like oh, Stackpole, what are you doing to me? <laughs> mm, yep, I, I mean, feel like he transcended yeah. in this duology. He's putting the war back in Star Wars. Oh, wow. absolutely. There it is. Yep. Yeah, I, when you said that, I could just see it in straight out of Compton lettering. Oh, yeah. Up on the screen. <laughs> what Star Wars? I, putting the war back in Star Wars. Yeah. That's right. So, you know, I think my favorite of those pairs is Mara and Anakin. And how much of it is because Mara is sick? And like, oh, man, we've seen her at her best. And it's tough to see her like this. It really is. And now she's with, like, a teenager. Can he help her? He yeah, has so, to. That's the crazy part. Just despite fighting for her health... She manages to fight off the Vong and mentor Anakin, eventually learning what accelerates her disease. And Luke is like, oh, don't you need to rest? And she said, no, 
I am done sitting back. It is time to take the fight to the vault, which is like, oh, she about to do it. So um, how does the disease highlight her true character? You know, there's been a lot of criticism of this decision to debilitate Mara in this series by the fans. But I actually think that the disease functions in a character highlighting kind of way, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about the disease? Rick, do you want to take this one first? Yeah, sure. I, I don't love the disease. Um, at least not yet. It is frustrating. And it feels like it's a an easy way to introduce conflict or introduce uh, maybe some plot decisions later. I don't know. It's like giving kryptonite to Superman. Yeah. Gotta have a way to curb him and make him human. I feel like that's the thing, though, right? Mara is, in my opinion, Mara, full health, could likely take down a couple of Yuzhan Vong, no problem. She becomes a problem for, for, you know, I think at that point, Stackpole... Everybody would would need to write uh, some almost insane level of things to happen because Mara's so OP in my opinion. Uh, in terms of of competitiveness, I I'm not sure at full health if if Luke could beat her. I'm not sure. Um, right. I I know with with now that Mara has a lot more force training, it's like okay, she was already powerful. And I think the sickness brings her to a point where it's like a little bit more manageable in terms of the situations she's in. The teachings that happen with with um, her and Anakin and Anakin having to basically bring Mara, like bring Mara back to life in a way. Um, I feel like it helps the story. You're right. I feel like, Rick, you, you nailed it in that last part. It, it really helps bring out her character. Uh, Jared, what do you think? Yeah, I... At first, I was just, you know, kind of going along with fan opinion on the internet that they never should, the authors never should have done this tomorrow. She deserved better. They do dirty by her in by New Jedi Order and Legacy of the Force. Though, in my read through this time, I'm seeing it in a different light. Um, I, I'm seeing her honestly kind of triumph over it. Um, it's like nothing can keep her down. She is such a force to be reckoned with. She's transcendent over the disease. And so now she isn't able to figure out that the scientists can't figure out what's wrong with her she figures out how to beat the disease mm-hmm. which is such uh, a testament to her own agency as a character um that she's not reliant on anybody else to save her she's gonna do it herself and when she decides that she is done resting and is gonna fight the ball i was like let's go you know i was ready to yeah, I'll ignite my own lightsaber. I'm gonna my headphones <laughs> off, and uh, you know, join her in battle. Sorry, Frodo. Just it's it is it is tough to see her like that. What else is tough is the plot surrounding Elagos Aqua. Elagos mm-hmm. is uh, such a lovable, peaceful diplomatic, and like also kind of care, uh, um, kind of a a character that you like to root for. He's got a little bit of, of charisma to him. In your opinion, do you think that Elagos's di- attempt at diplomacy was a good idea? Whew. He he definitely he definitely is on to something. Yep. And then they pull the knife at the last minute. Yes. I I I loved everything about it, I think. Um I thought everything, including to the last lead up, was done 
not totally unexpected, but just fitting, you know? It's paced very well. Yeah. Paced very well. And I mean, I, I appreciate a story that's willing to, to sacrifice a character in a meaningful way. And that's what Eligos even says from the beginning is, hey, even if I get killed, you'll learn something about the Yuzan Vong. And um, that's exactly what happens. It's really tragic because he is such a great, likable character. I just, you know, we just, well, I, I especially just, just read, uh, what what book was I it? Jedi. Was it, was it I Jedi? Okay, thank you. Um, he might have been introduced in the Hand of Thrawn duology, but then plays a significant role in I Jedi. I think I read I Jedi first. So for me, that was my first experience with him. And uh, I loved that that story of meeting him from Corrin's perspective. Um, and so, yeah, I really, really felt that loss. Um, but I understood his willingness to try that he may not be able to, to, to solve everything. He's not going to be a fighter if he doesn't have to be. Um, but he's going to do something to help, even if it means he loses his own life. And I love it. I thought it was great. Yeah. I mean, he's, he says, what if instead of war, we start by trying to talk to them? And he comes to Shadow Shai and says, let's try to understand each other. You teach me and I'll teach you. Pokemon. Um, <laughs> that's a good one. As soon as I said it, I was like, huh, that sounds familiar. Who? <laughs> yep. Yeah, we need to turn our caps into sport mode for this one. <laughs> Love it. So it's it's a very well-written subplot of the the two, the back and forth, and, and he, he really does grow on Shadow Shai. And you think, oh, he's yeah. going to have a breakthrough, and we're going to stop the war, except for the fact that I know that we're on book three of 19. <laughs> right. And ultimately, yeah, Skuma Joe says it in very well in the chat, the scene where Corin opened the case to find his bones uh, and the crying emoji over and over and over. So the, the basic idea is, he says, we need to send a message to the people, and uh, Shadow Shai says, you know what, you are, you're going to help me send a message to the people, a message they'll never forget. But it wasn't just, like, dark and evil. I mean, uh, Shadow Shai's, like, moral system is totally different from, you it's know... honor-based. Yep. Right. But he, in his opinion, I mean, Eligos had to die from the beginning, and so he honors him by this this death and this means of preserving his bones which was a so weird twisted. a weird yeah twisted perspective that definitely makes an interesting character i think man yeah um rick do you think it was a good idea i'm i'm kind of of the george bush we don't negotiate with terrorists <laughs> kind of kind of a mindset here obviously this was bound to backfire was it a good idea this is the best yes. idea yes I'm trying to ask Freddie. I said Rick. I'm not <laughs> okay. Freddie. All right. It's the best idea. And I'm not sure when you want to cover this topic, but you called it a, a loss, right? Whether this was a loss or not, it's a battle of attrition at this point. But in my opinion, there was a lot of wins in this book for the New Republic. I don't know how they're going to pan out yet, but there was a lot of wins that they managed to do. And, and this whole... In in my opinion, this whole thing was almost like a fact-finding mission, this whole duology. How can we learn? Right. And right, that's the first thing I want to do uh, as a person who solves problems for a living. Uh, how, how can I know more about the problem? I need more context. Give me more context. The more I know about it, the more powerful my decision can be. And that's exactly where he wanted to go is 
how can I get, which in my opinion is probably one of the most tact, tactful things, is how can I get by one of the most ruthless enemies that we've seen to date, how can I get next to them and implant some seeds of things that I know and just brute force ideas? Because ideas are way more powerful than weapons. And I... Oh, man. Well said. And I feel like that is probably one of the most martyred things that Elegos could have ever done. I, If he were to die of old age, I'd be sad, right? Like this is... In my opinion, these books are... They lead into chaos, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's what's coming next. But they found a lot of a lot of useful information about these people, and I think they even have a body, right? They have a body of of one of the warriors. So, yeah, mummified remains, which is what ultimately leads to the Battle of Ithor, which is Corrin uh, Horn challenges Shadow Shai and says, "If you spare the planet of Ithor, I'll give you back these remains." Mm-hmm. Which then the uh, Though Corrin wins the battle, um, the one of the Yuzhan Vong warlords decides to burn the planet to the ground. Yeah. Will burn Utica to the ground. And yeah. so that's what happens there. Uh, let's talk about that samurai duel to the death. The samurai duel to the death over the planet Ithor is uh, an epic conclusion for where we started with, with Corrin Horn. Mm. You think about it. You know, he wore a lot of different hats throughout the Rogue Squadron books, leaning in leading into I Jedi and now New Jedi Order, he has been detective. He's been hotshot pilot. He's been husband. Chad. <laughs> uh, love advice guy, right. Um, he He's he's jailbreak. Uh, he, of course, now is a Jedi who is, do we even say pilot? Did I say pilot? Um, now he's a Jedi mentor to a young gun. Ultimately, now has an honor duel, uses his ego to lure, to lure someone who might even have a bigger ego than him, mm-hmm. uh, Shadow Shai, into a duel to the death. Is this a satisfying conclusion for Corrin Horn's story arc? Oof. I mean, is this the end of Corrin Horn? No, but this is, uh, this is a, a, definitely a culmination of his character trajectory. Yeah. I see that. You know what he he te- he definitely takes. He could have stayed where he was at, in my opinion. He could have stayed doing what he was doing, and he took a big L by uh, excommunicating himself and separating himself from really like where he would like to be at, which is solving problems and protecting people. Uh, and and he's deciding to exile himself to Corellia and become his Corellian Jedi self that I think he was always destined to be. But during this fight, I mean, he, I feel like he towed the line of the dark side to where he understood the dark side. He goes, Oh, that was, that was scary. <laughs> um, and I, I think he sees some danger in that as well. Like, okay, I towed it. I, I flirted with it. It felt nice for a bit, uh, but it was, you know, terrible, terrible thing that I was thinking. And, and that, that whole progression was very interesting to see, right? Like that took his cockiness down, I think, severely if he had any left at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I just love where we start with him. People who are like, I hate Cornhorn. I say, keep reading. You've got to see where his character goes. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I guess you can... I love that. Go ahead. Uh, sorry. 
you could say that that Corrin is the the hero the galaxy needs, but not the one it deserves right now. <laughs> oh, and even even when the poor guy wins the battle, yeah, he still loses all because of politics. Yeah, yeah, man. This book it's makes brutal. you really hate diplomacy, uh, not diplomacy, but politicians. Yes, it really hammers it in of how. Um, who is it? It's uh, fell suit. No, jagged fell. Bors- Borsk failure. Fail- failure. Yeah, we do. We do get introduced <laughs> to <laughs> Borsk failure. <laughs> we do get introduced yeah. to Jagged Phil in these books. Yeah, who ends up becoming a very significant character. Yeah, very significant. So, moving on, we won't even talk about him tonight because we don't have time. Um, we do have a number of of uh, heartbreaking things that happen in this in this series. On the one hand, the loss of Ithor, the death of Elagos. And, of course, even what happens with the Shara Kor, which we'll come back to in a minute. But let's talk about something positive. There's a really exciting element of this series, which is the reintroduction of Rogue Squadron. Whereas Anakin and Jason are off on Jedi recon missions, Jaina is locking S-foils into attack position. Let's go. Is Jaina, is Jaina a good fit for Rogue Squadron? Oh, yeah. How so? Right in the family. Yeah, I mean, she stands on her own. You know, she would she could earn a spot just on her own abilities without the family attachment. But uh, she's she's got the genes, man. Uh, not only is she a she's a combination of one of the best hotshot smuggler pilots, but she's got the power of the force um, and the maturity to handle that, which is really cool and a, and a rare combo that a, a teenager is able to to fly with the best and keep her cool. Jaina's like in the thick of it too. She's in the thick of the battle, mm-hmm. uh, seeing explosions, losing her wing wing woman yeah, person. That's gut wrenching. There's so yeah. many losses in yeah. this series, <laughs> and and she handles it all. As, in my opinion, as a true Jedi, which is just like, if I don't persevere, we lose. Right. That's how I see it. And she's very, she's persevering. And and yes, she has to mourn everything. And and in my opinion, both her and and Jason are, are so new to this, and they just got, just like their parents, got thrusted into war. And it's like, ugh, we didn't have to deal with this. We we had peace for so long, and now they're having to... We've gotten kidnapped so many times, of course, but... Right. <laughs> They've stolen my childhood. <laughs> yeah, there's a moment, I'm trying to remember exactly what happens, where she basically is advocating that she earned this spot based on her own merit and not her family lineage. In yeah. fact, her mom was trying to hold her out of it. Like she didn't want her daughter flying in Rogue Squadron. Leia is actually using politics to keep her out, but Jaina's got so much talent and drive uh, that she that she gets in anyway, and is mentored by none other than who once was the young uh, the young guy in the squadron is now the leader of the group with a goatee to match, <laughs> Gavin. Dark Glider. Isn't it satisfying to see Gavin having risen among the ranks and is now in that mentor role? He was he was so green when we saw him, right, Rick? He was like uh, just a rookie. Ask Corrin Horn for love advice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Uh, yeah, he. It's it's really cool. Um, the and even even having Wedge and Tycho kind of making cameos here and there is. Oh, fun. it's so cringe when they show up and they're like. Back in our day, yeah. we had to push our X-Wings up the hill. But I'm <laughs> retired now, so uh, y'all have fun out there. <laughs> no. And now, 
Gavin is the seasoned, wizened veteran. Oh, it's man. a great way to get the a little bit of the taste of what we love with the X-Wing books and make it fresh. Mm-hmm. So it also keeps keeps it tied into the Solo family. We're not just dealing with like ancillary characters, but one of the Solos themselves is in the cockpit discovering the thrill of dialing up the inertial compensators <laughs> as well as the loss of losing your wingmate. So more to come on Jaina's story as we go in the series. Guys, we've got time to analyze some of the very rich writing in this series. I'm going to give you some samples of some of Stackpole's phenomenal quotes here. Uh, pull which one of these quotes you want to comment on, and uh, and we'll go from there. So on the one hand, there's a, there's a war council at the beginning of the... The first book, they're on Yavin 4, and we've got these factions, the pacifists and the warriors. Luke then says that there's a distinction, and we have to keep that distinction. Some of this philosophical stuff in the series is fantastic. And the question comes up between the distinction between a protector and a warrior. Luke says the distinction is critical to avoid the seduction of the dark side. The distinction, that line between protector and warrior. It's a great quote. There's just a couple more, and then you guys choose which of these you want to talk about. There's a great quote between uh, Shadow Shai to Elagos Akla. He says, Your people, blasphemers, heretics, and damned though they may be, have a resilience that may prove troublesome. Oh, man, it absolutely captured the fact that, oh, he's learning. He has respect for them. And it's like, buckle up, man. You don't even know what's coming. Mm-hmm. And then another to talk about is Desharakor. Desharakor, who tries to steal the plans to the super weapons. There's a lot going on in this duology, guys. Yeah. She 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 tries to steal the plans to the Death Star and the Sun Crusher and, and the Eye of Palpatine. She then comes around, realizes the error of her ways, and she says this, I had allowed my hatred to make as much of a slave of me as my mother had been. I don't regret opposing slavery or opposing the Yuzhan Vong, but I can't do it for the wrong reasons. Winning or preserving freedom is good. Seeking retribution is not. Which of these quotes is the juiciest in your opinion? Anything in these that you want to comment on, guys? There's a lot here. There is so much here. This whole book, in my opinion, was was discovering how it, it's literally like the same objective, different means. And those means are achieving your objective but in and the context behind it is so drastic though one is seeking conflict and one is how can i how can i do something to reduce this evil right like they they want to reduce this evil but one is through anger or one is like what, are you doing it for other people are you trying to rescue them right there's there's other ways to do it instead of just annihilating everybody <laughs> Yeah, uh, and and you see those with Jason too, right? There's, it's a common theme. Everybody has an option. They have an uh, an option of which way to go, and you see oh, choice. you see that faction on the threshold. Yeah, you see that faction within the war council itself as well. So, Rick, mm-hmm. th- there's so much That's great analysis, Freddie. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, there's things about each of these quotes that really can draw at you. Um, I like the. Uh, the quote from Luke, I think, um, you know, the the back and forth between being a protector and being a warrior. Um, 
And I, I think I agree with Luke, with Luke, as he says that you know the distinction is critical to avoid the, the seduction of the dark side. Um, and I'm curious to see how far the Jedi get pushed. Do they do they lose that vision that Luke has right now? Does Luke start? Does he start going back on that path of hey, I'm going to um, going to sacrifice my my ethics, my beliefs in order to to get the job done, or is he going to to really stick to this, even though it might cost, you know, maybe maybe more Jedi are lost or even personal loss um, for the willingness to to hold his his ground, um, which yeah. there is a big Stay difference tuned. I think between protector and warrior. Um, it's a hard hard thing to nuance. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've enjoyed the conversation about it so far. Yeah. There's a lot of nuance about it for sure. Nuance is the right word, especially in the new Jedi order concerning, um, how do Jedi continue to defend the galaxy when the galaxy is under siege and trillions, literally trillions are dying. Um, and, and there's, there's, I think, honestly, an appropriate level of pushback that some give to Luke. Corrin Horn has done it before. And Deshara Kor, uh does it in this series as well to say we can't just sit back. We have to be proactive. Which leads me to this. We get a really stark contrast, a, a dichotomy that's drawn in this series between Elagos's approach on the one hand, on one far extreme of pacifism, we're going to attempt diplomacy through peaceful negotiations. Hmm. Learning about each other is going to bring the solution. Versus the Sharkor's proposed solution, which is, you know, genocide. Yeah, you know, it's... let's just let's just annihilate them. Let's just blow them up, mm-hmm. and the battle is over. We prevent any more loss of our people if we just Death Star them. And we see opposite ends of the spectrum, both of which fail in this book. But I wonder, guys, as somebody who already knows what's going to happen, I would like to hear you guys speculate a little bit as we wrap <laughs> it up for tonight. Can you speculate on if if diplomacy doesn't work and if a Death Star doesn't work, what will it take to stop the Yuzhan Vong's reign of terror? Mm-hmm. So I have if a question. If you know in the chat, please don't tell the guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I have a question. And in all of this, where's the force? You know? What is the will of the force in this, in this story? I, I think... I, I really don't know where we're going, and so that's the question I'm asking. Uh, that's when a is great question, Rick? You're yeah. onto something. And like the whole like uh, allergic thing from that uh, tree on 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 Ithor, that that might be the Force. I don't know, but that's okay. that's the question that we haven't, I guess, got to, and that the Jedi are maybe wondering is how come there's not there's not more help? Where's the universe at? You know. So. That allergen does come back up as a plot point later on in the sure. series. So put a pin in that. Yeah. It's like, what is it? Kirchhoff's, or I forget the name, the gun that that shows up in the second act. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is interesting. I see a lot of ties between what's happening in this series and what's happening in 1999 Phantom Menace. You're seeing the Jedi getting pulled into a direction that may not really be so Jedi-like, right? And you really start to become like, okay, when do you become a monk and a warrior monk, mm. right? And 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 what what are you fighting for? Who are you fighting? Why are you fighting? Um, 
everything has to be questioned, right? And and that's what I see is just a culmination of like, what should we do? And the thing is, if you're, this is just war dynamics, right? If you're coming up against the enemy, number one is to find out as much information as you can about them. Weaknesses, strengths, everything. You need to know everything so you can fight them. So I see a lot of like fact-finding missions and 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 of course the Yuzhan Vong are going to respond and try to cover up those weaknesses with another fix, right? And and you just got to keep prodding weaknesses and and continue the battle, I guess, in a way that really just gathers the forces. And uh, it, in my opinion, having such you know you've got, in my opinion, a, a decent amount of force against the Yuzhan Vong, but what's happening, in my opinion, is just a lot of of the Yuzhan Vong just want to destroy. How do you destroy something that just wants to destroy? And that's hard. I, yeah. I, I honestly have a hard time figuring out what's going to happen here. Violence begets violence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what does all... it take to stop that cycle? I, I see, I see uh, diplomacy obviously doing something, right? Planting those seeds of, of context, understanding what's... You know, they talk about why, why these people could hate technology so much, right? And... and trying to figure out why is that the case? Is that really something we need to think about? Is that a weakness? Um, yeah. And, th- and that's what there. Yuzhan Vong are doing as well, right? They're just, fact- they're trying to figure out their enemy and, and it's just going to be a lot of attrition in my opinion until something decides to break. What that is, I honestly cannot tell right now. <laughs> Speaking of attrition, we've got a lot more books to read. So, yeah. Um, you guys are going to feel the attrition of the war by by the time this series is over. Boy, will you ever. And so with that in mind, we will be back in two weeks with another episode of Legends Look Back with Legends News Galore, followed at the end of the month of March by the Agents of Chaos duology by James Lucino. A couple more show plugs, some fun things happening behind the scenes at Utini. The Star Wars Archives just released the second part of the Jedi Prince Roundtable starring a little guy known as myself. And then the Cosmic Force, they're talking about the Mace Windu comic, the Thrawn Alliance's adaptation, the High Republic, Luke Skywalker's green lightsaber, and so much more. And we are also, guys, drumroll, please. Excited to announce the release of the newest podcast in the network, the Utini Avatar Show. You guys uh, guys ever do the, the airbender thing? I've never watched it. Nah. Ah, no, I haven't either. Thought about it, wanted to, but never really do- dived into it. It's a Filoni thing. So it is a there's that. I'm, yep. a, I'm, I'm ready for it. Uh, I was just totally into Naruto back then, so not really. It almost competed, but willing, okay. willing and open. Is it like a Jacob versus Edward thing, Naruto or, uh, or Avatar? Eh. I, I, Star Trek versus Star Wars. I, I'm sure there you could find some sort of decisive thing there. <laughs> so uh, if you are interested in that, be sure to check that out as well. That does it for this week. Thanks for joining us for Legends Look Back. Thanks to our incredible patrons for your support. Special thank you to Brian Dooley, Carl Sander, Michael Fry, and Raymond Bazinski on our Jedi High Council, and James T., Ashley Ingalls, Colton Fife, and Chris Carrizo on our Alliance High Command for their amazing support. Remember to sub to the channel, leave us a review in your podcast platform of choice if you'd like your thoughts read on the show. Our contact information can be found in the description. You can catch us every other Tuesday night at 8.30 Central at youtube.com slash at Vault. Ring that bell if you want to get notified whenever we go live. 
Remember to sub to the channel, leave us a review in your podcast platform of choice. And we're on Twitter at Legends Look Back. Remember to keep the Utini fan code and be a force of positivity in the fandom. May the force be with you. This is a Utini broadcast.